brother Chris. Can you tell? Good morning. morning. It's always great to be with you guys. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, we just come before you today and we just want to give you thanks and praise for just another week where we have the amazing privilege of being able to gather together in your name. I just pray that you use this sermon today to show us how we can guard our hearts from all the various attacks that are going against us to drive us far from you. I just pray that you help us to take those paths of escape that you've given us and to do it in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that you're just glorified with today's worship. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. The human heart is amazing. It is a muscle that is roughly the size of your fist that is crucial to survival. It is responsible for pumping blood to your entire body through a network of blood vessels that would extend to over 60,000 miles if they were fully stretched out. On average, the human heart would beat over 115,000 times in one day to pump approximately 2,000 gallons of blood. It even generates its own electrical impulses that causes it to beat. While the human heart is truly amazing, it pales in comparison to we call our spiritual heart. Usually when the Bible mentions the heart, it is referring to the spiritual heart, and that is going to be our focus today. Will you please open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It has been said that this proverb is the key to understanding the book of Proverbs. But it is also the key to understanding all of life. When we look at the Proverbs, we have to be careful that we do not reduce them to little nuggets of good advice or just warnings against immoral behavior. If you're preaching, teaching, or reading Proverbs just like a Jewish rabbi would, you're doing it wrong. When interpreted rightly, The book of Proverbs takes godly wisdom and invites the reader to incorporate it into his daily life in a Christ-centered way. J. Adams reminds us that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He it is, therefore, into whose likeness one grows as he appropriates and incorporates Proverbs' teachings into daily living. As a result, it is a thoroughly Christian, Christ-honoring book. I pray that as we study Proverbs 4.23, we will do so in the light of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross and incorporate its teachings into our life. Just like the whole book of Proverbs, this sermon may be a little, little repetitive, but it is for a reason. The truths contained in this passage are too important to gloss over. They need to be repeated. They need to be embraced. They need to be applied to your life. Failure to do so can shipwreck your faith, destroy your testimony, and blaspheme the name of Christ. Now let's go to a text. We're going to begin reading in verse 20 to give us our immediate context. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. 
Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all the body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. We're going to examine Proverbs 4.23 today in three points. The heart defined, the heart attacked, and the heart defended. But before we do that, let's look at verses 20 through 22 to see how it sets up and stresses the importance of verse 23. Verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. The wise father is calling his son to pay attention to his instruction. He's telling him to intently listen to him. Not half listen like your kid does when he's playing video games when you're trying to talk to him. Verse 21. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. The wise father is telling his son to never forget his teachings. To never lose sight on what he is about to say. To always hoard his words close to his heart. And verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. The wise father is warning his son that how he responds to his instruction will have eternal consequences. If he listens, he may find eternal life. But if he doesn't, it will lead to his destruction. He's also informing his son that his obedience or disobedience to his guidance will affect all of him, not just spiritually. Just like his son, you should take his counsel seriously. Now let's move on to our first point, the heart defined. Verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. As we said, the word heart can mean many different things. When this verse mentions a heart, what is it referring to? Is it referring to the muscle in our chest? Or is it simply a symbol of love, like we see on Valentine's Day? No, it's referring to something else. According to Jerry Bridges, the heart in scripture is used in various ways. Sometimes it means our reason or understanding. Sometimes our affections, emotion. Or sometimes our will. Generally, it denotes the whole soul of a man and all his faculties. Not individually, but as a work together doing good or evil. The mind as it reasons, discerns, and judges. The emotions as a like or dislike. The conscience as it determines and warns and the will as it chooses or refuses, are all together called the heart. Essentially, the spiritual heart is the citadel or the command center of life. Your heart is the real you. It is who you are on the inside. It's not the act you sometimes put on when you're at work, when you're at church, or when you're around your family members or friends. It is who you really are. And what is inside your heart will affect everything. It will affect everything you do, everything you say, and everything you think. This is a truth that is found in the second half of verse 23. For from it flow the springs of life. The King James Version translates it as, For out of it, 
are the issues of life. The Christian Standard Bible translates it as, for it is the source of life. And the NIV translates it as, for everything you do flows from it. Because of that, many theologians have compared the human heart to a fountain. Paul Washer has said, the heart is like a fountain or spring that flows into every river of our lives, either purifying it or contaminating it. It is also taught throughout scripture that sin starts in our hearts. Jesus himself testified to this truth in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. In other words, you are responsible for all of your sins because they started in your heart. You cannot blame your spouse. You cannot blame your boss. You cannot blame the other drivers on the road. You can only blame yourself. My friends, you sin because it starts in your heart. But that is actually good news if you are in Christ. If it is in your heart, then you can mortify or kill it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in order to kill the sin in your heart, you must have the right heart. So let me ask you a question. Do you have the right heart? Scripture teaches us that there are two types of spiritual hearts, an unsaved one and a saved one. An unsaved heart hates God and is at war with him. It is incapable of obeying God and has no desire to do so. It only wants to do evil. In fact, that is all that it can do. It loves sin and is enslaved to it. The Apostle Paul taught this truth in Romans 8, 6-8. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The unsaved heart wants to knock God off his throne and take his place. It puts its trust and hope in itself instead of God. An unsaved heart has given itself over to idols and cannot be trusted. The prophet Jeremiah proclaimed this truth in chapter 17 verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? As you can see, unbelievers have a serious heart problem. If this is you, know that there's no medication that can take to fix it. There is no surgery that can repair it. You need a new heart. But how can you get a new heart? The only person that gives you a new heart is God. He can take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Only Jesus Christ can break the chains that are keeping you enslaved to sin and set you free. Turn from your sins and cry out to Jesus to save you. If you do, he will pay the punishment for your sins. He will give you his righteousness. If you repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone, you will be given a new heart, a heart of flesh, a redeemed heart. A saved heart is a product of a supernatural heart transplant where God removes our wicked heart that hated God and replaces it with one that loves God. 
This is the new heart that was promised to us in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The act of God sovereignly giving us a new heart is called regeneration. According to A.W. Pink, regeneration consists in a radical change of heart. For there is implanted a new disposition as the foundation of all holy exercises. The mind being renovated, the affections elevated, and the will emancipated from the bondage of sin. This new heart, this saved heart, has new affections and new desires. And that makes all the difference. It loves God and desires to obey Him out of love, not obligation. It hates sin and is no longer enslaved to it. It has been set free and submits itself to the Lordship of Christ. This is the truth that the Apostle Paul taught in Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. A saved heart will always lead to a changed life. If God saves you, he will change you. If you're in Christ, your life will be marked by an increasing obedience to God's law. There may be some deep valleys, but the overall direction of your life will show a Godward direction. Many false teachers teach a false gospel that says you can be saved, but not have Jesus as Lord over your life. They teach that you can have a new heart, but not a new life. Paul Washer often uses a powerful illustration about an encounter with a logging truck to show how absurd that notion is. To paraphrase him, let's imagine I showed up late here today, I run up to the pulpit, and everyone's angry with me. Brother Doug stands up and says, Brother Chris, don't you appreciate the fact that I've given you the opportunity to preach here and you're 30 minutes late? And I say, you have to forgive me, but I have a good reason I was late. You see, I was flying down 70, trying to get here on time, and I got a flat tire. And while I changed the tire, a lug nut rolled onto the highway. As I ran out to get it, I got hit by a 30-ton logging truck. And it was going 120 miles per hour. It ran me over, and that's why I'm late. Doug looks at me and says, come on, Chris, that's absolutely absurd. It's impossible. You cannot encounter something as large as a logging truck and not be changed. Then my question would be to you, what is larger, a logging truck or God? Washer's vivid illustration shows the absurdity of claiming that you can encounter the living God without it changing you. And today, we are going to focus on this new heart, the heart of flesh, the regenerate heart, the new heart that you have if you're in Christ. It is the saved heart that is under attack and must be watched and defended. Moving on to our second point, the heart attacked. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. This proverb is not simply advising us to watch over our hearts like you keep your eye on your child when he's playing on your living room floor. It is instructing us to watch over our heart like a soldier guards a military base when attack is imminent. In fact, the word watch in this verse can also be translated as to guard or protect. But it's not stopped there. It instructs us to watch over our heart with all diligence. 
it means that we should make watching our hearts our first priority. You must do it carefully, persistently, and constantly. The Puritans refer to the spiritual discipline of constantly guarding your heart as watchfulness. According to the Puritan John Downame, watchfulness of the soul is when we do not sleep in our sins, being rocked in the cradle of carnal security, but shake off our drowsiness by unfeigned repentance, rising up to the newness of life. As a Christian, you you must watch over your heart with all diligence, because you are under attack. You are in a spiritual war. And in this war, you have three enemies you must contend with. The flesh, the world, and the devil. Your first enemy is your own flesh. Tom Askell reminds us that the Christian life is a war. The fierce battles are those that rage within the heart of every believer. The new birth radically and permanently changes a person's sinful nature, but it does not immediately liberate that nature for all of the, from all of the remnants of sin. Birth is followed by growth, and that growth involves warfare. Christian, you will still sin, and you will battle it every day. If you're not act, actively battling against sin, you may have already surrendered to it. But you do not have to wave a white flag and surrender to sin. You do not have to give in to it. It is no longer your master because Jesus has set you free. When sin rears its ugly head, remember the comforting words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who are not allowed to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. When you're being tempted by sin, take the way of escape that God has provided to you as soon as sin manifests itself. Your second enemy is the world. The world refers to any system of thinking, worldview, or way of life that leaves no room for the one true God. As a Christian, you are living as an alien in a foreign land in a land that is hostile to you and to our our God. In a land where you're bombarded from every angle with unchristian philosophies all day long. Philosophies that want to take you captive. The Apostle Paul warns us of this in Colossians chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You're living in a world that tempts you to covet and place God with various idols. A world that tempts you to run after money, fame, and fancy things. To love the world more than you love God. The Apostle John stated in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. But the good news is that if you're in Christ, you will win this battle. 
In chapter 5, verse 4, it states, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And if the flesh and the world was not enough to contend with, you also have to contend with the devil. He is real, and he is a powerful enemy. But he is also a defeated enemy. He was defeated on the cross and is on borrowed time. His attacks will not make you lose your salvation, but they can steal your joy and make you ineffective in your ministry. And the devil works in many ways. He attempts to discredit the word of God, to make you doubt the truth of the scriptures. We saw this in the garden, and we still see this today. He's hard at work in many seminaries and churches, undermining the inerrancy, infallibility, and sufficiency of scripture. He's hard at work trying to make you believe that you need more than the Bible to care for the souls of men. He attempts to misrepresent God to make you doubt that he is good. Those nagging thoughts in the back of your head, like how could a loving God let bad things happen, is the devil trying to get a foothold in your life. He attempts to make you doubt your salvation and destroy your assurance. He is the accuser of the brethren. When you sin, he wants you to think things like, how could, be, how could I be a Christian and do what I just did? While he cannot make you sin, he can use what is already in your heart to tempt you to sin. That is why the Apostle Paul warned you in Ephesians chapter 4 not to give the devil a foothold in your life. My friends, you do not defeat the devil by rebuking him or throwing up hedges of protection. You defeat him by guarding your heart and do what James tells us to do in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Now let's move on to our third point, the heart defended. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. We already looked at what is meant by the heart and the various ways it is under attack. It must be said that before you can defend your heart, you must make sure that God has given you a new one. If you have truly repented of your sins and believed in Christ alone for your salvation, then you have one. Now let's look at five ways you can watch or guard your heart. Failure to do so can create an ineffective barrier against sin and lead to a great fall. First, you must make sure that you're striving to live your life in a I'm sorry, striving to live a life of submission to God's commandments through the power of the Holy Spirit. All Christians are incapable of obeying God and putting up an effective barrier against sin on their own. We so easily give in to sin and are unwilling to do what needs to be done. That is why we need the Holy Spirit's help. In Philippians 2.13, it states, For it is God who is at work in you, both the will and and to work for his good pleasure. If you're in Christ, you do have the ability to love God and to obey him. You have the ability to guard your heart. You have this ability because he gave it to you and will help you. Second, build a strong blockade in front of the inlets of sin, your eyes, your ears, and your mouth. Cut off anything that tempts you to sin. In Matthew 18, verses 8 to 9, it states, And if your hand or foot is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. 
It is better for you to enter life maimed or without a foot than you have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than you have two eyes and be thrown into the fiery hell. Obviously, Jesus is not telling us to literally pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands. If he did, we'd all be running out round blind and without any hands. He is using a metaphor to stress the extreme measures we should go to to fight against the sin in our lives and to resist temptation. But how should this look in your life? Inlet number one, your eyes. It is essential that you control your eyes to guard your heart from seeing things that are not glorifying to God and may tempt you to sin. Once you have seen something, you cannot unsee it. Proverbs 4.25 provides some very practical advice on what to do with our eyes. It states, Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. So Christian, let me ask you a few questions. What movies are you watching? What TV shows are you watching? Are you being entertained by the very things that caused Jesus to die on the cross? If so, turn the channel. Maybe cut off the cable or get a filtering device like VidAngel. If you're still having difficulty controlling your eyes, you may need to take more drastic measures like throwing out your TV or your computer. When you're out in public, are you letting your eyes linger on things you have no business looking at? So many Christians pray and wonder why they're not seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They're going to church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. They pray every night and maybe read a chapter 2 of the Bible just about every night. But they're spending hours a day watching videos full of violence, nudity, crude language, and sinful things. When you immerse yourself in sinful things, do not be surprised when you start to desire those things more than God. Inlet number two your ears. It is essential that you plug your ears to guard your heart from hearing things that are not glorifying to God and may tempt you to sin. Music is a powerful medium that can change an entire culture. It can help you remember things and make you want certain things. Just think about all the times where a song just pops into your head that you haven't heard in years. And now you can sing all the lyrics and you can't get it out of your head. But Christian, let me ask you a few questions. What music are you listening to? Are you listening to music that celebrates sin? If so, throw out those CDs out of love for your Savior and a desire for holiness. I've counseled men who seem to be taking one step forward and two steps back in their battle for purity. They drastically cut off their access to videos, magazines, TV. They even put accountability software on their computers but they constantly entertain themselves with songs about the very sin they're trying to kill. And that is one of the reasons they're having such a hard time killing sin in their lives. How can you expect to have victory over sin if you're filling your heart with songs about those sins? I'm not saying that you cannot listen to secular music. What I'm saying is that you need to filter the content of the songs you're listening to. Guarding your ears involves more than just filtering the music you listen to. It also means you must protect your ears from hearing gossip and excessive negative talk. Strive to fill your ears with truthful matters and words that build up rather than destroy. Inlet number three, your mouth. Proverbs 4.24 reminds you to watch your mouths. It states, 
Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Avoiding listening to gossip is only half the battle. You must make sure you're not the person who is spreading the gossip. One false rumor can destroy a life, a reputation, a career. And that is why gossip is often referred to as character assassination. Also, watch your mouth to make sure you are speaking the truth instead of lies. All lies, even the ones we justify by calling them little white lies, are never harmless. They're all serious and God hates them all. Proverbs 12 verse 22 reminds us that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. <clears throat> Lies can quickly destroy whatever safeguards you have put in front of your heart since they lead to so many other sins. Third, set up guideposts to keep you on the narrow path. Jesus taught us that the path to salvation is narrow and the path that leads to destruction is wide. So stay on the narrow path. Set up guideposts to keep you from straying too far to the left or too far to the right. These guideposts can serve as an early warning system to let you know when you're straying from the path before you fall into a ditch. As Christians, we love our ditches, don't we? We find ourselves in one ditch, we tend to overcorrect to the point that we fall into the other ditch. For example, a person who grows, grows up in a strict home, marked by man-made rules, tends to overcorrect once they move out and live in a way that there are no rules. Proverbs 4.26-27 reminds us to watch the path of your feet and your ways will be established. Not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Your feet are the instruments that can lead you to sin or away from it. Use them to run from sin as fast as you can. Run from it as if your life depends on it. And fourth, do not neglect the means of grace. The best way to protect your physical heart from disease is not to wait until it is sick to treat it. The best way to protect it is to make sure it is strong enough to fight off disease is to exercise and eat healthy foods. Your spiritual heart is no different. You should not wait until it is under attack to start guarding it. In order to have a strong spiritual heart, it is essential to regularly participate in the means of grace. The means of grace will help your spiritual heart be strong enough to withstand the attacks of its enemies. If they get through the safeguards that you put in front of it to protect it. Bible reading is a means of grace that is fundamental to protecting the heart. Read your Bible often and memorize scripture. Just like Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil... You can use scripture to resist the temptation to sin. Prayer is a means of grace that is fundamental to protecting your heart. Make prayer an integral part of your life. It can help you set your affections on God and resist temptation. Ask others to pray for you and pray for them. Pray for those who mistreat you. Praying for them will help prevent the root of bitterness from growing up in your heart, causing you to sin. Worship is another fundamental means of grace. Do not neglect Sunday morning worship. Regular participation in corporate worship will help reorient your thinking from yourself to God. It will remind you of his loving mercy. Baptism is another means of grace that is fundamental to protecting your heart. It is much more than simply a rite of passage in the Christian life. 
According to chapter 29 of the 689 Confession, baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ to unto the party baptized a sign of fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins, and of giving up into God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in the newness of life. Baptism does not save you, but it is the first command that is given to a believer. A refusal to be baptized when you've had an opportunity to do so reveals a rebellious heart that needs to bow in submission to the Lord's command. If you're rebelling against the first command that was given to you, is it any wonder that you're rebelling in other areas of your life? The Lord's Supper is a means of grace that is fundamental to protecting your heart. Partake in it whenever it is offered. It is a spiritual feast where Christians are reminded of Christ's sacrifice. Take the time to really meditate on how he took your place and paid the penalty for your sins. Reflecting on what Christ did for you will help you have a deeper hatred for sin and a deeper love for God. Fifth, call in reinforcements. God has blessed you with a church family. A church family that that can come beside you and help guard your heart. They can point out sin in your life that you may have not noticed and call you to repentance. Reach out to someone in your church if you're struggling with a sin issue. Ask them to hold you accountable. Your accountability partner should be a mature Christian and should not be struggling with the same sin that you are. If they struggled with it in the past, they should have a long track record of victory over it. A good accountability partner, a good accountability partner doesn't just call you up once a week and ask you how you're doing. He is someone that has your permission to speak into your life and take whatever interventions are necessary to help you kill whatever life-dominating sin you're dealing with. A good accountability partner calls you to repentance and constantly points you to Jesus. And finally, Christian, we have talked a lot about what you need to do. Just remember that you cannot do it yourself. If you try to do it on your own, you will fail, and your citadel may be taken over. But if you're in Christ, know that you will win in the end. After Jesus comes back and institutes a new heavens and new earth, you will be giving a new body, a glorified body. You are no longer sin, and you are no longer desire it. What a great day that will be. But until then, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we just come before you today, and we know that our tendency is just to be prideful and think that we can do things on our own, that we can resist temptation and fight all the different influences in our life that are trying to take us away from you. Help us just to get over ourselves and rely on you and you alone. And just help us to be willing, out of our love for you, to cut off whatever there is in our life that is tempting us to sin. And no matter how hard that may be, we, we, just help us realize we must do it because we love you and we need you. And we just want to give you praise in all things. Amen.